All right, Psalm 133, God's word says this, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, hear this, life forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, We're drawing uh, to a close in our time in the Psalms of Ascent, as I mentioned earlier. The final two will take us to Mount Zion. Mount Zion is the place of Jerusalem where God's temple is, where his his presence dwells. Uh, The journey is coming to a close. If you'll recall, these are journey psalms. The the Israelite pilgrims would sing these psalms as they made way uh, towards Jerusalem for various festivals throughout the year. And so we can hear God's people singing this song about the sweetness of unity together with their their brothers, oneness together. At this time in in the Old Testament, unity was largely confined to one nation. We know that is the nation of Israel, the Israelites. Uh, But we cannot avoid now on this side of the cross of Christ uh, that unity has been extended through the ministry of Jesus to all nations, to all colors, to all races, to all walks of life. Sinner and uh, self-proclaimed saint, the grace of Christ is available through all, hear this good news, through all who call upon the name of the Lord. Through Jesus, then, we are one family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ In his book on Christian community, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, we belong to one another, hear this, only through and in Jesus Christ. We are together one, unified as the body of Jesus. We belong to one another. Uh, About eight years ago, I woke up uh, to my phone ringing. It was early in the morning, perhaps 4 or 5 a.m. in the morning. My friend uh, and partner with me in in a local home group that we hosted in our home, Micah Ellis was on the line. And you guys don't know Micah because this was at my last church. But Micah, if you knew him, was he was a big, tall guy, about six four, six five. He's you just could picture he's kind of the man's man. You know, he was in construction. He owned his own construction company. He could weld. He was the guy that you would call that like could fix anything. Okay, if you needed something fixed, think of I'm going to embarrass somebody. Think of Kevin Webb, right? If you call Kevin Webb, Kevin Webb's going to come. He's going to fix it. He built this whole backdrop here for us. He, that kind of guy, a man's man. Now, Micah was a stoic figure. He he didn't show much emotion. He was a classic blue-collar type of guy. But when he called me in this particular morning, his voice cracked as he began to speak to me. And I knew, based off of uh, Micah's kind of just the way he carried himself, and like, there's something seriously wrong, especially when someone's calling you at 4 or 5 in the morning. Something was off. As he began to cry, as he shared the news that his, his special son, Samuel, had been diagnosed with leukemia. Samuel was probably 4 or 5 at the time. I was the first one to receive a call with the news. And why was Sam special? I mean, all children are special, but Sam was incredibly special because Sam had Down syndrome. And everybody loved Sam. He was special to me. He's special to my family. Uh, Thinking back in memories of our home group and seeing our kids uh, pick him up and play around with him and wrestle with him. And he was just a joyous young man, is a joyous young man. Now, now, down syndrome kids generally have heart issues. Uh, Sam had a particular heart issue. He had a, he had literally had a hole in his heart, 
And just about the year prior, it was amazing. God miraculously healed this hole in his heart. And we know it was a miracle because one day the doctor saw it there, and then the next day it was gone. It perplexed the medical community and the doctors, but we know who handled that issue. But now this, this leukemia was present in his body. In this moment, Micah and his wife, Christy, again, members of our, of our home group, were, were completely unified. We set aside any sort of little petty differences that we had because we were unified around a cause. The greater church, they were members of our local church, rallied behind them. We weren't sure at that time how everything was going to play out. But the beauty of unity was put on full display just a few days later. You see, in this church, we had this thriving women's ministry. They would meet on Tuesday mornings about mid-morning and do a Bible study. There'd be anywhere from 60 to 100 women that would come together. Uh, We had a pretty large pastoral staff there. And on that particular Tuesday, after we received this news, uh, we went over. They gathered in like a fellowship hall, probably about the size of this. And we went over with all those women, the pastoral staff, and we joined hands together. And I wish I looked over the weekend. I wish I could find the picture because we have a picture of this big gigantic circle that went all the way around the room. All of God's people joined hand in hand. We were unified together, one, for Sam and calling upon God to heal this incredible young boy. Now we know this, that in that time when we walked in that room together, we know as human beings, we get on each other's nerves sometimes, don't we? We annoy each other. Okay, we have little petty differences that we work through, aggravations, things that get on our nerves. But in that time when we walked through that door, all of those little things faded away and we joined hand in hand because we had something that we needed to bring before God. We were unified on behalf of Sam to call upon God to heal this incredible young boy. And the good news is God did just that. Except unlike the the miraculous healing of Sam's heart just a year prior, we see God work miraculously like this, and we see God also work miraculously over long periods of time. Samuel went through three years of intense therapy to rid himself of that leukemia. He was in the hospital for three straight years. He was in Loma Linda Children's Hospital. And over the, the course of three years, because of the God's miraculous working through doctors and nurses and the advances of medical science, Sam is alive and well today. And he glorifies God in his life, and he's living life to the full. I want to share this story with you because it was a picture to me of an incredible time of unity within the local church. We were unified on, together on behalf of this Young man, and everything that existed the day before, the minute before, all the differences, all the aggravations, all the petty things that we had against each other, they faded away when the important thing was brought forward, that we needed to pray for this young man and call upon God to heal him. What I witnessed and experienced personally ties into our main idea for today. Our main idea is this, is that unity is good and pleasant. Our main idea is that unity is good and pleasant. Where in the world do we get this from? Well, it's in the first line of the psalm. If you want to look to verse 1, David is the author of this psalm, and it says this, Behold, now I want to pause there. When the Bible says, Behold, okay, you better listen. 
Perk up your ears. Listen to what the author is saying. This is a wise saying for us. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when what? Brothers dwell in unity. When we're brought together. When we are unified behind a common cause. This psalm in particular draws on familial language, a brotherly type of relationship. Brothers dwell in unity. Uh, The church must embrace this fact. This is true of the church, that our family extends beyond the blood relationships that we have. Now, our, our blood family is important. They're near and dear to us. We love our blood family. But if we are Christians, if we have called upon the name of Christ as Lord and Savior, we also have an extended family that is spiritual. You here in the room with me are my brothers and sisters in Christ. We are family together. And not only in this room, but also all around the globe. That's why we pray for Nate, because he's my brother in Christ. And we pray for his ministry uh, to orphans in the nations. With this in mind, how good and pleasant it is when brothers, and I'll add this, and sisters dwell in unity together. Much of the New Testament, it's so important that if we read through, flipping over to the New Testament, if we read in the New Testament, right after the Gospels, we have letters to the churches. Much of the content of those letters centers on this theme, unity, being unified, being one, set aside, setting aside our, our preferences for the main things. It's incredibly important to the body of Christ, the church, that we be unified, that we be together as one. I want to be clear on one thing, though. Unity does not mean uniformity. Okay, those are two different words. Unity does not mean uniform. We don't all come in wearing the same clothes. Some of you came in with a suit and tie today. I came in with my flannel and my blue jeans and my boots, right? Okay, we're not uniform. We're, we're a very different and diverse group of people. The church should represent diversity. We should have old and young and middle-aged. We should have uh, retired. We should have widowed. We should have orphaned. We should have young families. We should have families that aren't able to have kids. There should be a diversity. We should have rich and poor. The church should be like a, a tapestry, okay? A tapestry, if you zero in on it, each little thread you can make out, but as you pull away, you see this beautiful thing coming together, sewn and woven together. That's what the body of Christ should look like. All of us individuals, diverse in where we came from, coming together for what? One common cause, to proclaim Jesus, to proclaim the gospel to the lost, to bring glory to God. We belong to one another only through and in Jesus Christ. Looking to the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 3, Paul writing to this church says this, I therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Here, here are these qualities that he talks about before he gets to this message of unity. He says that we, we are called to be like this to be a people with all humility and gentleness, with patience. Hear this, bearing with one another in love. Eager, hear these words, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Unity is incredibly important to our God. Oneness together. Let's be honest, unity is difficult at times, isn't it? Like I'm going to confess something here. I am selfish. I am a self-centered person. And I have to fight against that every moment of my life. 
my own selfishness, my own comfort. Unity calls us to set aside our self-centeredness and our selfishness to focus on the community to which God has called us to. As David instructs in this psalm, it is, he says, it is when we are unified, what does he say? He says, it's good and pleasant. Unity is like this. Unity is like a plant that requires attention. You water the plant, ensure that the soil has the correct nutrients, it's trimmed, it's pruned, has the correct amount of sunlight. If any of these elements are missing, or if it gets too much sun or not enough sun, it wilts or it turns weird colors. But when it has its proper measure of each one of those things, the plant does what? It grows. And if it's a flowering plant, it'll produce a fragrant bloom with beautiful colors. With work, the plant gives us something good and pleasant. This is a picture of unity in the local church, in the body of Christ. And so in light of our main idea that unity is good and pleasant, that's our main idea, we look to why unity is in fact good and pleasant. We're going to look at three reasons why. Number one, unity falls down from above. Unity falls down from above. We can say this, unity is a blessing that falls down from God. The author in in this particular psalm, a very short psalm, uses two similes. Okay, similes are used to emphasize the main point. What's the main point? That unity is good and pleasant. Okay, so the author, David, is going to use now two similes to emphasize that point. Here they are, looking to verses 2 to the beginning of verse 3. The author says this, It is like, so he's speaking of unity, it is like the precious oil on the head. Hear this word, running down. You could even say falling down there. Falling down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron. Who is Aaron? He was the first high priest. Running down on the collar of his robes. Okay, falling down. Then moving. Now he gives us a picture of this mountain, Hermon, and the mountain of Zion. It is like the dew of Hermon. Hear these words again. Which falls on the mountains of Zion. We might think, looking back to this, this first comparison, the, the oil on the head, we might think this, this is a strange comparison, right? I'm not fond of people dumping things on my head. You guys remember like a few years back, they had the ice bucket challenge. You guys remember the ice bucket challenge? Like, I don't, don't dump ice cold water on my head. I'm not going to be happy with you. But in context now, if we look at this in context, in the context of the Old Testament, this idea of the oil running down on Aaron into his beard and on his clothing brings a vivid picture of the consecration of Aaron, his set-apartness for the work of the priesthood. The oil was precious. It was a precious commodity. And it was also, this oil that they used was incredibly fragrant. It smelled amazing. So he's being covered by this amazing smell. When we think of unity as good and pleasant, so how does this simile draw us back to our main point? When we think of unity as good and pleasant, it's like the fragrance of God falling down over us, flowing uh, from our head down our face and onto our clothing. We're covered in the fragrance of God. The beautiful fragrance of God covers us. My dad, when I was a kid, he used to play a game with me when I would be sitting at the table, he'd come up behind me and he'd do this game like where he would act like he was breaking an egg on my head, like a fake egg. Okay? And he would set his fingers on my head and he'd hit it down like this and then he'd run his fingers down over my head. And I loved that. 
Because it tickled, and it's like my dad was close to me, and we would laugh together because it felt like there was something just running down. And that's what I feel like when I read this. I'm taken back to my childhood when my dad would be like, hey, I'm going to break an egg over your head, and boom. And and you had that closeness with, I know that's silly, but it was I trusted my dad that he wasn't going to break a real egg over my head in the first place. But my father there was touching me, and we were connected. He was breaking that fake egg over my head. And then there was laughter and joy, and we would laugh at each other. It was a good and pleasant relationship that we held that he would break the fake egg over my head. Another simile to drive uh, the point of the good and pleasant blessing of unity, uh, the author talks now about, he says, it is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. Now, it's interesting, if you know a little bit of geography, you would know that these are, mountains are not one and the same. They're not the, they're not the same. Mount Hermon is a few hundred miles away from Mount Zion. Mount Zion is the place where the temple would have been built on top of about 2,000 feet tall. Hermon, about 200 uh, miles to the north, would have been about 7,000 feet tall. Okay, big mountain, smaller mountain, still bigger than Mount Washington, which we have here, which I still haven't found yet. But we know this, these are both important mountains in the life of the Israelites. And I believe this image invokes unity because you have one in the north and one in the south. You have this image of these being drawn together, the dew from one falling on another. We see the unity of the Israelites under the headship of God. And And it gives us this beautiful picture of dew in the morning. Okay, now I learned something since I moved here to Kentucky. You don't walk outside in your socks early in the morning in the summertime because the, the grass is covered with this kind of uniform dew, this, this united dew all, all the way across all the grass tops. And isn't it when you get up and it's still kind of cool and crisp in the morning, not freezing, okay, cool and crisp, you get up, you kind of draw in that cool air, you got your cup of coffee with the steam coming off of it, and you look out on that fresh cut grass and you see all that dew just kind of resting on the top of the blades of grass. I think it's beautiful in the morning. And there, there's something uh, about the grass, is just a, it's just a little bit greener than it is in the afternoon when the, the dew evaporates. It's beautiful, especially my grass with all the weeds and dandelions growing up. It just looks a little bit more uniform. The Bible says this, if we think about this, the the dew falls in the morning when it cools off. The Bible says this, says that his mercies are new every morning. That dew is new every morning. Think of the, the fresh dew on the grass as you emerge from your nightly slumber, a fresh new day, crisp air of the morning. What's happening? The the water vapor from the heavens is condensing on the blades of grass and plants. And throughout the day, it falls down from above, bringing a freshness and growth. That's the picture that David is giving us here. That's what unity is like. It's like that dew resting on the blades of grass and nourishing them and helping them to grow fresh and new every morning. What a beautiful picture. It's another good and pleasant picture of unity falling down from above. This brings us to now to our second point. Unity pictures the Godhead. Unity pictures the Godhead. I'm going to talk about the Trinity a little bit this morning. I want to encourage you, uh, if you struggle with the doctrine of the Trinity, I don't say I struggle with the doctrine of the Trinity. It just kind of blows my mind every time I read about it and think about it. I want to encourage you to grab this book, Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. 
read it just last year. Amazing book on the Trinity. You can't have this copy because I like this book, but I'm going to set it here in case you want to look at it afterwards and order it on Amazon. I'd encourage that for you. If you we get through some of the Trinitarian doctrine and we're talking about this morning, you're like, I still don't understand it. I think this book would be helpful to you. When I use the term uh, Godhead here, so unity pictures the Godhead. When I use this term Godhead, I'm, I'm referring again to God as a Trinity. We believe that our God is a triune God, a Trinitarian God. And what does that mean? God exists eternally, okay, eternally as three persons in one Godhead, three in one. Okay, we can't separate those out. It's a mystery, I know. God is three in one. What is he? He's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we know this from Scripture, that we are made in the image of God. We are made in the image of the Godhead. The Bible says this in Genesis 1.26. It says, let us, hear this, let us make mankind in our image after our likeness. Do you notice that language there? Us and our. Humanity is created in the image and likeness of our triune God. God is Trinity. And the Godhead is eternally united. Okay, We're getting this picture now. If we're talking about unity, we need to look at perfect unity, which is the Godhead. The Trinitarian God who has always existed in perfect unity together. One of the classic uh, historic Christian creeds, the Athanasian Creed, says this of the Trinity. It says, we worship one God in Trinity, hear this, and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person, the person of the Son, another, and that of the Holy Spirit, still another. But the divinity, when I say divinity, I'm meaning like the godness of God, his, his divineness, the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one, their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal. That is our God. Okay, and it, this doctrine alone reminds me, like, this stuff can't be man-made because what person would make this stuff up? It has to be biblical because no one who just would think this up would even imagine this sort of doctrine. It's beyond us. And here's another truth. God did not lack anything prior to the creation of humanity. He did not create out of lack. He didn't need anything. But rather, God sought to bring himself glory by creating what we know as the pinnacle of all of creation. The pinnacle of all of creation is human beings. You are humans, the pinnacle of God's creation. And as image bearers of God, we reflect that need and sense for united community because we reflect God as an eternal community together. Three in one. But we must admit now on this side of sin, so Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. That sin has infected each and every subsequent human being. We must admit our vision for community is marred by sin. Okay, We don't reflect it perfectly. We oftentimes, a lot of times, seek our own good and uplift our wants and desires above others. Okay, again, we're... We're self-centered. We're just honest. We're selfish. But if we press into our calling to bear the image of God in creation for his glory, we will, now I want to say this, by the power of the indwelling spirit, 
by the power of the indwelling spirit, reflect the good and pleasant unity of our triune God. Jesus prays as much for us in John 17. If you look to your notes, John 17, 20 to 23. This is known as Jesus' high priestly prayer. He's praying in context here for his disciples, for for the apostles that will go out and proclaim the gospel. And he says this, I do not ask for these only. I want to pause. He's saying, he's praying for the apostles, but he's also praying for those who will be reconciled through the apostles' ministry. We are a product of that ministry here today. We are here because people continued to proclaim the gospel to lost and hurting people. He says this, but also for those who believe in me through their word, right? Those reconciled through the ministry of the apostles, that they may all be, hear this word, one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe, hear this, this is the reason why, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me. Here's the reason again, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Do you see the purpose of our unity? that the world would know Jesus. Now, as we reflect that the image of unity between the Father and the Son, our purpose begins to emerge. Jesus says, just to make this very clear to you, Jesus says that they may all be one so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And then again, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Our unity together as a church is this. It is a drawing light. Okay, Think of the bug light out on your front porch. It's drawing unbelievers and skeptics to Christ when we are unified. And we are reflecting the unity of the Godhead. I mean, how powerful is our witness of unity together in the world in this time and age? Would we agree that we live in a very divided culture? How beautiful is the unity of the local church in light of what goes on outside around us? Because who wants to be part of a dysfunctional, disunited, quarrelsome family? I don't want any. That's not fun. That's not enjoyable. That's not good and pleasant. And yet, if, I mean, we've got to be honest here. Oftentimes, this is the life of many churches. They're dysfunctional, they're disunited, and they're quarrelsome. We divide over so many trivial things, and carpet color and chair color and paint color and budget needs and personality conflicts and power struggles and whatever other thing we can put out there. But if, family, hear this, but if we would be united as one under the banner of the gospel of Jesus Christ, our unity would do this. It will draw the lost, the skeptic, the unbelieving world to Christ. I believe this. That we picture the unity of the Godhead so that, we picture the unity of the Godhead so that the world may know the Son, Jesus Christ, and His love for them. That's our mission. This unity that is, is good and pleasant because it pictures what God is like. 
And when we accurately picture what God is like, it is a drawing effect on those who are far from Christ, drawn into this light of unity, because they look in upon the church and they say, man, there's just something different. There's something different. When someone is sick, they surround each other. These people pray for each other earnestly each and every day. When, when someone's in need, there's someone preparing a meal and bringing it. When someone's short on a bill, someone's given money to help. That's unity. Number three, unity foreshadows eternity. Unity foreshadows eternity. Okay, unity in the present foreshadows our eternity. Okay, that what we do here each and every Sunday not only fills our spirit up and sends us back out to be on mission for Jesus, but it is also kind of the dress rehearsal for what we will be doing for all of eternity, which is to worship Christ. We picture that every time we gather. We're practicing for eternity. Unity in the present foreshadows our eternity. Through faith in Christ, we will be with him, with each other, with our family for all of eternity. Think about that. When we are unified in the present, we get a foretaste of what heaven will be like. It says so in the last half of verse 3, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing. Hear this, life forevermore. Life forevermore. The word life here is not just like living and breathing, not like, hey, I, just, I got up again today and I'm, I'm not six feet under. Okay, We're not talking about that kind of life. The, the Hebrew word here is talking about a fulfilling, full life, real life, life that is truly life. And that's what eternity is going to be like, life that is truly life. Who wants some of that? I do. When we dwell in unity, when we come together in unity, David claims we are really living. We're really living as God designed us to be. Looking again to the words of Jesus in John 17, finishing out that chapter, verses 24 to 26. I really want you to focus on 24 in particular. Jesus says, says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, so that's Christ's people, Jesus' people, whom you have given me, may be with me, hear this, where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Do you see that connection we have with Christ and that picture that Jesus gives to us for all of eternity, eternity that we may be with him? What Jesus is saying. Hear it this way. Jesus desires for you to be with him. Where he is to see his beauty and glory, not for just a day, not for just an hour, not for just a minute, but for all of eternity. That's a long time. We enjoy the benefits of his work through faith because we can only be unified through the spirit of God. It's the only way it makes sense that a diverse group of people can come together and get along and be unified is because the spirit of God dwells in us and is connecting us. God's Spirit brings about true and lasting unity. 
His spirit sanctifies us, meaning it makes us more like Jesus so that we can do this. Very simply put, so that we can set aside our preferences and our aggravations and our pettiness for the greater call of what David says at the very beginning, a good and pleasant unity, unified together. And you too, those of you who are far from Jesus, can be unified into the family of God through faith in the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I have a few final thoughts on unity, and then we'll wrap up. The truth of the matter is, is that we belong, as Christians, we belong to a community of believers. Through Christ, I said at the beginning, this is your family. This is our spiritual family, our spiritual brothers and sisters. It reminded me of a story in Mark about Jesus. Mark chapter 3. Jesus is, is in this house, this home, and he's a teaching a group of people. And, and it says his, his brothers and his mom came looking for him and calling for him. And I, I can picture it as like either there's people coming into the house and say, hey, Jesus, your mom's looking for you. Your mom is looking for you. You got to get out there. And Jesus says this. This is amazing. Because they were, at this point, the physical location of his brother and his mom is where? It's outside. It's not inside. It's outside. And Jesus is surrounded by people who are listening to him and want to learn. And it says he did this, Mark 3.31. It says, he looked around the room to those who were with him and he said, here are my mother, my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister, mother. Through faith in the work of Christ, we are the family of Christ. We call God Father. We call Jesus our brother. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to share this with you, just a couple more things. Circling back around to my opening story about Sam. When I found out that that little Sammy had leukemia, here's the reality. I didn't care about the issues in the church because we were unified under one cause. So I want, I want you to think about that this morning. If we had some sort of tragic news that we, like what would be the things that you just, like they are bothersome to you this morning as you walked in, but now in light of this news, it's like, man, that stuff just doesn't really matter. Do you have anything like that in your life? In view of eternity, in view of the life of this young man or whatever tragic thing we're facing, it just doesn't really matter willing to just set that aside and link hands, hand in hand with my brothers and sisters in Christ and pretty. If something like that happened today in this room, what would be those things in your hand? Just like, yeah, I don't, I don't really care about that anymore. I'm just going to hold this person's hand and we're going to pray together. Pray for God's healing touch for his glory. Our petty differences quickly fade when things that truly matter come to light. And so I end with this. Let us be a beautiful, fragrant, and fresh picture of unity to the looking world. Let us be that light to the onlooking world. Let us shine the light of Christ in our unified community, our local church here. This is our responsibility that we are unified together. That many, why? That many would come to know the saving power of Jesus. That's my prayer for our church that the unbelieving world would look in and say, I want some of that. I want to be a part of that 